been working on Sunday evenings all year on uh, following the Twelve, actually training with the Twelve, seeing what Jesus taught the apostles in the couple of years that they had with him. And we're on topic number seven, uh, how Jesus dealt with people, what the apostles saw as Jesus dealt with people. And tonight's a little special group because it's the apostles themselves that Jesus is dealing with and uh, seeing how he trained them. Uh, It's not a summary of the year. The year was on topics that Jesus taught, and hopefully we learned those. Uh, This is not uh, what they learned, but how he learned, how he dealt with them, Uh, how, how he trained them, if you will. And since we've been trying to apply all this stuff we've been learning, it's not just to learn a little history about what Jesus taught. Uh, we've been trying to learn how to apply it in our life since Jesus was teaching the apostles and gave them a special job. We've got a special job, and uh, maybe we can learn how he did it and how we ought to do it. Uh, tonight probably applies most uh, to those of you who might be leaders, uh, teachers, mentors, uh, you've got some people or a person, perhaps, that you're training, that you're investing time in to uh, help them grow up. It applies to parents, I think, pretty well, a lot of this uh, that we might see. Uh, Jesus picked very 12 very different men, and he only had a little over two years with them to get them ready for a pretty big job. So... Here's how he dealt with them, and maybe if you're a leader, teacher, mentor, parent, something like that, uh, might learn something from how Jesus dealt with him, dealt with those 12. So let's see if we can uh, summarize this and maybe learn a thing or two. First uh, topic I put down, I put down a number of verses that represent uh, how I summarized it, is he tested their faith. Uh, and then he criticized their lack of faith. So he, he pushed them. Uh, he, he tried to get them beyond where they were. Uh, but if they didn't move along fast enough, he got on them a little bit. So the three verses that I picked there, the first one, Luke 5, 4, is Jesus got into one of two boats uh, with Peter, uh, was in the one he, uh, one of the ones he owned, uh, got into it with him, and he taught the people from the shore for a little while, and you can look most of these up at home. We'll read a few of them publicly, but mainly we'll kind of summarize. And after he taught the people from the shore a little while, then he told Peter, he said, all right, he said, now put out into deep water. Well, let's get out there where it's deep. And if you read Peter's response, his was his response was, We've been working all night. You know, we've been out fishing all night. We haven't caught anything. And now after a session of you preaching for who knows how long, uh, do you want us to put out into the deep water? Jesus said, yeah. And so Peter did. And the other boats followed. And they got out there, and Jesus said, all right, put your nets down. And if you remember the story, they caught so many fish, they couldn't pull them in. Uh, Filled both boats with fishes. And uh, Peter and all the rest of them asked, you know, what kind of man is this? This is amazing. 
that he's got this kind of power. But they learned a lesson out in deep water. Uh, their faith was in what they knew. Their faith was in uh, their physical abilities as fishermen. And from Peter's perspective, this is silly. Uh, we fished all night when the fishing is good. And now you want us to go out into deep water. So uh, hopefully uh, there's, 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 a lesson, there's some big lessons in there. Uh, almost the same thing happened when... Uh, Peter walked on water, and you read that one in Matthew 14, is Jesus challenged him or tested him. Uh, he said, come on. Get, get out here in the deep water. Get out and walk like I am. Uh, everything in Peter said, this is not a good idea. <laughs> but the faith in Jesus got him out of the boat. And as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, of course, is the classic lesson from that story. He did pretty good. Uh, Matthew 15. Uh, let's look that one up and read it directly. Matthew 15, verse 10. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth doesn't make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that's what makes him unclean. And the disciples came to him and said, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And he replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They're blind guides. If a blind guy man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. And Peter said, Explain the parable to us. And Jesus said, Are you still so dull? Are you still so dull after all this time with me that you don't get that? You know, I mean, Jesus had talked about this stuff before, evidently. He had, they had watched him deal with the Pharisees and the, his opponents, which we'll talk about in the weeks to come. Uh, they knew all of that, and this parable isn't that tricky. It's not that hard. And so Jesus jabbed him a little bit. Are you still so dull? You don't get this. He did go on to explain it to him. Uh, but he gave Peter a little reprimand there for, for not thinking this through. Uh, so that was part of his training. He was testing them, getting them out in deep water, uh, getting them to walk on water, criticizing them when they didn't come along fast enough. Uh, maybe a, another application on this Mentioned on the way home today from our morning service, uh, we were talking about all the things that happened, and so many things happened this morning. And uh, Cindy said, "You know, it makes you wonder what God's preparing us for. You know, as a congregation, we we don't understand uh, why the Blocks and the Oakleys are having to go through this. You know, but we're learning lessons right along with them." Uh, we don't know why. I mean, we're in some deep water right now. Uh, we aren't getting it. <laughs> uh, I don't know if he thinks we're dull or if it's we're coming along well. You know, but I know we're learning something. Uh, he's, and I don't, you guys know theology well enough to know he, he doesn't cause these things, but he uses them. 
and he will train us with them. Uh, and it's not like we have them all the time, I and mean, we always get sick, and we always get needy, and we always get things. But sometimes there's some special tests given to his people. Uh, a few years ago, the Bannings and the Littons had to go some, through some things that none of us understood. Uh, why is that happening? Uh, at the time, I know we commented at our house that, you know, God's raising up some elders here somehow. You know, for kids that young to have to go through some of the things they did, God's preparing them for greater things. Uh, but when you're out in that deep water, it's awful hard to see that. Uh, but he's preparing us for something, I think, and um, I hope he thinks we're coming along pretty well instead of being dull like Peter. Second uh, topic that I picked here um, is that when they messed up, when they were wrong about something, he dealt pretty strictly with them. Yeah. Uh, last week we talked about how he dealt with the disciples, the bigger group of followers, and he'd correct them. If they were off, he'd get their ideas and their priorities back in line. Uh, but he dealt pretty strictly with the apostles, these special trainees of his. So let's go over to Matthew 16 and look at the first one. Matthew 16, verse 15. Uh, Jesus had asked them the question, well, who do people say I am? And in verse 15, he said, but what about you? Uh, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but my father in heaven. And I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Okay. From that time on, this is all one story now. Get this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block. You don't have the things of God in mind. you got the things of men in mind. Okay? Now how about that for a turn? Okay? Uh, you're Simon. You're the rock. On, on that confession, I'm going to build my church. Well said, Simon. My father revealed that to you. Uh, you, I'm going to give you the, kingdom, the keys of the kingdom. You get to preach that first sermon. You get to open up the kingdom to people. And 30 minutes later, or 30 days later, or however, but three lines on my page later, he said, you're Satan. There's a come down for you. And he called him Satan. He didn't call him, you're like a devil. He said, you are Satan when you say stuff like that. 
Yeah, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I don't think I've ever told anybody they were the devil. Well, no. <laughs> but he, he told Peter that. And his point was that, you know, this is the plan. I'm telling you, I've got to be, I've got to give my life and all of that. And Peter was saying, no, we're not going to let that happen. You're too important. I'll, we'll save you no matter what. He was going against the divine plan. And that's exactly what Satan would do. They wouldn't say, no, I'm not going to let this happen to you. Uh, so, I mean, the, the contrast there has always amazed me how he went from being the, the guy getting the keys and in right on top of the world. And I imagine Peter was probably strutting a little bit after that with the other 11. Uh, but then in just a few lines, bam, he's at the bottom of the heap for not thinking of the heavenly things. Okay. Uh, Peter gets in trouble again in John <laughs> eighteen eleven. Let's go over there. Once again, Peter thinks he's doing the right thing. He was a tad impetuous, you might say. So you know the story. They're in the garden. The Romans come uh, to arrest Jesus. Uh, verse 10, then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Okay. He wasn't getting on him for whacking Malchus. Uh, he was getting on him for not the same old thing, not getting the divine plan. Uh, I mean, Peter... Learned a few things from our last passage to this one, hopefully, about what Jesus had to do. I don't think they ever understood it completely, but he surely had it a little better along. And that's what Jesus got on for him. He said, I know it's time for me to drink the cup. They'd just been in the upper room. He explained all of it to them. And Peter's going to fight them. He's going to doodle it out. So he commanded him, put your sword away. And uh, Luke chapter 9, of course, is a great story about James and John. Just read that for fun. I always like that story. Luke chapter 9. Show you what kind of guys we're dealing with here in our 12. Luke chapter 9, verse 53. Oh, I start up in 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up into heaven, uh, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. All right, now, there's a lot of history here about... Elijah calling down fire in that area and all that, but James and John thought they could do that. And they were ready to smoke this whole town for not giving Jesus a place to stay and not being hospitable. Uh, but Jesus rebuked them. And sounds 
like he might have done that fairly severely. So when they were wrong, he got on, got right on them, heavy. He didn't hit around about it or beat around the bush. He told them, nope, you're wrong on this one. Uh, this next one I put in there just for our human relations, I think. Uh, the transfiguration and the story in the garden uh, about when the, some of the apostles fell asleep while Jesus was praying the, uh, the, the prayer that he did there in the garden a couple of times. And we won't take time to read those, but you know the, the stories well enough, I think. The point is, uh, he went away to these special things, and he took Peter, James, and John. So we've talked about the 12 being called out and how they were special. Out of all the disciples, he picked 12 that were fit for what he wanted to do. But within that 12, there was a hierarchy also. Uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John are always mentioned first in the list. And the next four are always mentioned next. And then the last four are always mentioned last. So the Bible kind of ranks it for us that... These were the most important four, and then these guys were had pretty good influence, maybe. And they, these four were kind of a little bit on the outside of the, the campfire ring. But within the top four, this has always kind of surprised me, uh, out of Peter, Andrew, James, and John, two sets of brothers, three of them were very close to Jesus, the most close. Now, and out of those three... John was the most, most close. Uh, John called himself, I was the one he loved. I mean, that's kind of an interesting statement. But those three were the most special of the twelve. I always wonder what Andrew thought about that. You know, I just, I worry about poor Andrew. how that affected him, or if it did, or what. I don't know, but it just seems strange with two sets of brothers to pick three of them. But, I'm, I mean, I'm, the reason is that somehow those three had the most human connection, I believe. Uh, they had the closest personalities or something. Uh, they got along well. And when Jesus left to go be transfigured, he said, Peter, James, John, come on, let's go. What the other ones thought, I don't know. Uh, well, I, I do know they got jealous sometimes. They, they battled about that. We'll get to that in a little while. Uh, so they did get jealous. But then when he went into the garden, too, uh, he left the, the twelve and he said, you three come with me. Okay. Now, what we can learn from that, I think, like I said, it's not really about the apostles. It's more about our human relations. Is That's the way it works. You can't have a hundred BFFs. You can these days, but in real life, you can't. Okay? If you live in a virtual world, you can do that, okay? which is one of the appeals of the virtual world. You know, I got a whole bunch of friends. Okay? Well, in the real world, you can only have so many friends that you know well enough to really call friends. But within that, you've only got enough time in life to have so many close friends. Now, I know some people have a more capacity for that than others, but that's the way 
human nature works. And that's the way Jesus was. Traveling with them, for some reason, he got along best with these three. Uh, and when it came time for special things, that's who he wanted close to him. Yeah. Sometimes he told them, now don't tell the others even. Like when they came down from Transfiguration, he said, don't tell about that. Don't tell about the things you saw. That was, that was special stuff, just between me and you right now. So, very interesting there, but in your friendships, maybe there's a lesson there for us that uh, a special circle of friends, and within that special circle, there's smaller and smaller circles, and tell most of us may have one best friend we would think of. Okay, next one is the apostles' ego. They were they were a mess sometimes. Uh, Mark chapter nine. Let's read that one. Mark chapter nine thirty three. Uh, they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, oh, what were you arguing about on the road? And they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. <laughs> now, I don't know how close they all walked together, but these characters thought they were far enough from away from Jesus that he didn't hear, evidently. Well, Jesus was paying attention. And heard them. Of course, he could probably tell by their demeanor over the last few days what their problem was. But he asked them. And uh, they kept quiet because they had argued about who was the greatest. And so then he gave them a lesson about if you want to be first, you've got to be last and, and all of that. Uh, can you imagine the twelve walking along with Jesus and fighting about who was most important? Sounds almost human, doesn't it? Uh, you get any kind of organization of people, however unorganized it is even, if you put a bunch of people in a room, that's the way it works. They kind of sort themselves out. And these guys argued about it. Uh, that morphs into the story in Mark chapter 10, which is even... Sadder or funnier, depending on your sense of humor. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 32. Uh, let's see if we can shorten some of that. Yeah. Uh, he predicted in the first passage about how he was going to die and all that. And then in verse 35, uh, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. A teacher, they said, we want you to, to do for us, whatever we ask. Well, there's a beaut. <laughs> Anybody ever ask you that? I want you to do something for me. Now, just promise you're going to do whatever I ask. You know, <laughs> that's, that's crazy in itself. Kids ask that sometimes, but adults should know better. Anyhow, James and John said, we got a favor. Uh, and uh, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And so Jesus said, well, what do you want me to do? You notice he didn't promise anything. He said, what do you want me to do? They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Okay? So that shows us, first of all, they didn't know what the game was. They didn't know what the plan was. 
They still hadn't had their head that Jesus was going to be some kind of earthly king, evidently. Uh, whatever this kingdom was, they didn't understand it very well. And whatever his glory was going to be, they didn't know, but they wanted to be the top two dogs. Let one of us sit on your right hand, one of us sit on your left hand. Uh, can you work that out for us? Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? They said, oh, yeah, we can do that. Jesus said, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left hand is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared, which we don't know what that means. Well, here it gets, gets better, verse 41. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. So now James and John are in trouble, and the other ten are going to whip them. Uh, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them and all that. Uh, not so with you. That's not how it's supposed to work. So you can read the rest of it. But here, the tw- talk about a mess. The, <laughs> the two of them go in secret to see if they can line up the big jobs when all this comes true. And when the other ten find out about it, obviously they don't understand any better than the two do. So the ten get mad at them. Jesus sees what's going on. He calls them in and says, no, no, you're, you're acting like the Gentiles, like the pagans, like this is some kind of human organization. He said, no, you, you guys are going to suffer like I do. You're all going to be martyrs one day. But positions in heaven, that's, that's not what we're, what we're all about. We're, we're servants. In fact, I came to be a servant, is what he finishes up by saying. And if you think they made progress, turn over to Luke chapter 22. We're at the Last Supper now. If you've been studying your Gospels, you know that's pretty close to the end. Luke chapter 22, uh, 24. I mean, we're just about done with our training course here. Uh, Verse 24, while we're in the middle of the Last Supper, also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest to them. They were still fighting about it, still arguing about it. Um, sometimes it's hard to believe this stuff, isn't it? That, that after all this training and watching Jesus, they could still be this so self-involved and so egocentric and all that. And Jesus had to battle that. Uh, Jesus trained them all the time about that, but they didn't seem to make a whole lot of progress. Uh, and obviously that's one of the toughest human conditions to beat, is this ego selfishness that's all about me. Sometimes I get to thinking that that's really the only problem in the world. Uh, I know it isn't. I know there's other problems that we deal with. But that is so central to almost every problem that mankind runs into. Itself. Uh, in every area of life. I read a quote one time. Somebody said that... Uh, 
two unselfish people never got divorced. Yeah, I don't know if he's got statistics for that, but sounds reasonable. Okay, last thing, the last two things, and these are so familiar we'll go through them pretty quick. Uh, John chapter 13, the whole story of him washing their feet. Uh, he was teaching them to serve. Boy, that was a hard lesson for him, wasn't it? I mean, after you see what they were like, if you see these other things, you can imagine how hard that was. They just got through fighting around the campfire about who was the most important. And then Jesus says, all right, now we're going to wash feet here. Can you imagine if he had just come in and said that? All right, we need one of us here to wash feet. Who's Who's going to do that? I think James and John would have said, let us. (laughs) No, not James and John. And the the others probably would have said, yeah, make James and John do that. That would be good for them. You know, they got a problem. They're a mess. Anyhow, uh, (laughs) Jesus said, I'll do it. And boy, that sent them into a tizzy. They, they, They didn't know which one of them was most important. But they knew this much, at least, that the Lord and Master, the one that was going to be in the glory, the one they were asking for special seats, he shouldn't be washing feet. Okay? But that's what he taught them. When it clicked, I think it was <laughs> it was later. I think it was closer to Pentecost time when some of that started to fall into place. But they gave them a... Hard time right then. Peter especially said, oh no, this isn't going to work. Luke chapter 9, uh, let's turn over there. This is a story we kind of skip sometimes, I think. But it was how he dealt with them, part of his training. Luke chapter 9 and verse 1. Uh, when Jesus had called the twelve together, now this is getting... Toward the end, too. We're getting pretty close to the end of things. Uh, When Jesus called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. I have a little training mission here. Uh, He's going to be gone pretty soon. That's what they're going to have to do, is go out and preach and teach. Uh, So he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. He told them, this is where it gets strange, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people don't welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that town as a testimony against them. So... They set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Now, that's quite a training mission, isn't it? You guys just go and don't take anything with you. Don't take any money, don't take any bread, don't take any extra clothes, and just rely on hospitality. Just rely on nice people. Is that the message? 
Who were they supposed to rely on? You just go. He'll take care of you. You don't need food. You don't need bread. You don't need clothes. He'll handle it somehow. Okay? That's quite a lesson. Quite a hard lesson. I don't think I'd start a trip like that. But he was getting them ready. He was teaching them who was in charge and how that would happen. Uh, and sent them out. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got a. Uh, actually, if I start the story where it started, about a year ago, uh, some gentleman called the office here and was up at Park City at the uh, truck stop and was trying to make his way home to Texas after being paroled up in uh, Nebraska, I think it was somewhere. Anyhow, he was headed home and he just needed a room for the night. Was all he needed, and didn't ask for anything else. Didn't. You, after a while, you can kind of tell people who sound sincere, uh, not perfectly, I'll guarantee you, but sometimes you can get a glimpse that this is not just a, a racket, this is not the way these people make their living. And so anyhow, I got with Mike or somebody, and we uh, faxed some credit card numbers up to the motel, and you know, got him a room for the night. Never heard anything else from him, or never... Asked for any more, or didn't, never asked for any more. So off he went. Well, about two weeks ago, uh, he called again. And he was on the way from Texas. He had made his year after parole, and he was on the way from Texas back up to Nebraska to sign the final papers. So he'd be completely free and clear. Yeah, well, I remembered him. And uh, uh, this time... What he wanted was he had got dropped off downtown somewhere, and he wanted a ride up to where he could hitchhike, get a good ride closer to a truck stop or something like that. And he did say that, well, I offered to come down and buy him a bus ticket. He said, no, he didn't want to wait around till the next bus left. He, he wanted to keep moving. And I'm getting to the point of the story here, by the way. Anyhow, he... <laughs> he he just wanted to get up to the truck, and he'd like a decent breakfast if he'd get it at McDonald's or something. Uh, so I went downtown picked him up. Took him up to Park City and showed him where the truck places were over on Broadway and all that, and assured him he, I mean, he looked it over. He said, yeah, he said, I can get a ride here. This will be, it's a lot easier than getting a ride in the city. And all that, so he had asked for some, asked for a breakfast, uh, so I had $60 on me, so I gave him $60. And when I handed it to him, you know, it, was like, it wasn't like he was ungrateful. I mean, he said, thank you and all that. But when I pulled it out and handed it to him, it was like, it wasn't a shock. It was like, yeah, God's taking care of me again. I mean, that's the sense I got from it. Like, this is the way he travels. You know, he just expects God to take care of him as he goes. Yeah. Now, I'm not recommending that is the way to travel these days. Uh, and by the way, this guy's 69 years old. Yeah. And he, I, I liked him. He was a character. But that's just the way he travels. He's used to it. That's the way he thinks he ought to do it, and it's pretty cheap traveling if you think about it. But the, the, my take from him was that 
He couldn't, well, he couldn't drive, by the way. That was part of his parole. He couldn't drive, so that was against the rules. But he just kind of expected God to take care of him. And the part of the story I left out is he knew more people in the Churches of Christ than I knew. I mean, we had quite a conversation. He, I mean, he went clear back to Marshall Keeble and all sorts of people. We, we had quite a conversation while we were together. He's a neat guy. But when I read this story about you just go out and God will take care of you, that's kind of how I think, I think he operates. He, he's on a good mission. I mean, this, get his parole wrapped up and all that. That's a good thing to do. And he thinks God's going to get him there and back. So um, maybe in a week or two I'll hear from him. I don't know on his way back through. But <laughs> Anyhow. Um, I think that's the the story of this here is you you just go God will take care of you and uh, teaching them to learn to trust and He'd given them power they had the power from the Holy Spirit to uh, cast out demons and heal the sick and all that but God was going to take care of their physical needs. All right, we're done with the apostles and the sordid stories along the way. Uh, next week we'll tackle tackle another topic and uh, see how Jesus dealt with some people. We'll get into the opponents and a few people like that coming up. So should be a little more exciting, maybe. Glad you've been here tonight. If the, uh, you have any needs of this family while we're together, we'd be happy to uh, take care of whatever that is, whether you need to put Christ on in baptism or uh, pray with this family or share something with us. We'd be happy to work with any of that. So I'll be here at the front. If you have any needs, come. Brother Brent, come lead us in song.